You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I'd like to begin this podcast, the Savage Lovecast, with a word for the leadership of the Mormon Church. And that word is fuck. And we'll toss in a free word, a bonus word, you. Fuck you. The leadership of the Mormon Church is a bit upset about the protests that have broken out all over the country um, that are thrilling uh, and heartening for gays and lesbians. Um who feel a bit under siege in the United States of America right now. Uh, it was great to see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets all over the country. The religious right is shitting themselves. They don't quite realize what they've unleashed. Uh, and particularly the Mormon church, which financed to a great extent, majority of the money, majority of the volunteers, uh, Prop 8 in California, uh, stripping gay and lesbian Californians of their newly won right to wed. They're particularly shitting themselves because a lot of gays and lesbians are very angry. A lot of straight people are very angry at the Mormon church. And the Mormon church is now saying, hey, 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 uh, you guys. The leadership of the Mormon church released a statement that says, Attacks on churches and intimidation of people of faith have no place in civil discourse over controversial issues. People of faith have a democratic right to express their views in the public square without fear of reprisal. I agree. People of faith have a right to express themselves in the public square without fear of reprisal. Reprisal is not angry queers waving placards on public sidewalks in front of your bigot ink churches. That is not a reprisal. That is us exercising our right to free speech and our right to participate in the democratic process. You know, LDS leadership, and I'm sorry, well, you know, another rant cast, another edition of the rant cast, but these are extraordinary times. You know, LDS, when political attacks are launched from churches, political responses will be delivered to churches. If goddamn McDonald's had organized and paid for Prop 8, we'd be marching on goddamn McDonald's. You guys organized and funded Prop 8, and we are taking it back to your front fucking door. You kicked in our front fucking doors and took our marriage licenses and forcibly divorced 18,000 couples in California. Now don't come fucking crying to us because some angry queers showed up waving signs in front of your bigot ink franchises. All right? And finally, we'll end with a word for everyone out there who's been really energized by the protests and the response to Prop 8. Go to jointheimpact.com, see what you can do, look up Day Without a Gay. We're not going to let this rest. This is, as people are saying, the second Stonewall, or Stonewall 2.0, as Rex Walkner dubbed it. And uh, it ain't over. The religious right thinks it's over. They think that at some point they're going to have one little vote and all of us are going to give up. And go back in the closet or cease to be or become ex-gays and marry their daughters or whatever the fuck they think is going to happen. That ain't going to happen. They lost last Tuesday. They don't realize it yet. They lost last Tuesday. And we're all going to make them realize it. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus a free gift with most purchases, please visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 21-year-old straight-ish female. Anyway, what I'm calling to ask you about is that uh, I've been seeing this new guy, and he is 
fantastic. Uh, it's a, a really great mental and emotional um, relationship. We actually put off having sex for a while. Um, actually got naked a couple times before you and had sex. And I really love everything about this relationship and this time I spend with him and it's all great. Anyway, everything funky dory, sex is great. However, my problem is, is that tonight we're having sex and I am put in the reverse cowgirl position for my first time and I wasn't really sure what to do, but that's not my question. My problem was, is that he was apparently really close to orgasming and then at the last minute pulled me off the chase and I really don't understand why. We actually fought, kind of debated about why he can't have, why he was unwilling to have a physical orgasm. He said he'd already had a mental orgasm. And I guess it kind of hurt my feelings because I, you know, been trying really, really hard to, you know, please him all evening. It was an excellent lovemaking session um, up until that point. And um, I just don't really understand why he would just at the last minute call me off. Well, I tried to call you back, but some dude answered the phone. Uh, and I didn't want to ask him about what was up with that orgasm uh, that he was disinclined to have the other night while you were reverse cowgirling the shit out of him. You're asking the wrong guy, though. It probably was uh, probably would have been best if I had just played your call for him, and then you two could have gone and had a little chat about it. I don't know why he decided that he didn't want to have an orgasm. I think that sometimes uh, women don't realize, particularly young women, and you're only 21 and straight-ish, so who knows how many guys you've actually been with. Sometimes guys get very close to coming a few times and, and hold back for their partner's pleasure and then do feel like they've sort of had an orgasm, not a mental orgasm. They've had sort of a physical orgasm that they've pulled back from and then they are unable to come. And he may have been unable to climax because he pushed it too far to the edge too many times, held back uh, too many times. And, you know, he, his little dicklet was exhausted uh, but like some guys, he may have been worried about just admitting that to you, admitting that he couldn't have an orgasm in, at that moment um, and instead told you that he decided not to have an orgasm at that moment so that he looked like he was in charge and he could still do it if he wanted to, but he didn't want to. And then you flip the fuck out about it. It seems like you're kind of being a little controlling here. Um, sometimes people just don't necessarily get off uh, when they have sex don't necessarily need to it's not a referendum on your reverse cowgirl skills and it seems to me that you two need to have a little sit down chat about what actually happened and you need to let it go uh, sometimes women don't come uh, when they have sex and they can still be intensely pleasurable can still create a feeling of intimacy and a bond you can still uh, you know a woman can still be invested in her partner's pleasure and drive satisfaction from giving him that pleasure you know what all that applies to guys, too, sometimes. Every fucking sex act doesn't have to end with the guy blowing a load for it to have been successful. Hi, Dan. I, I tend to only get that feeling of attraction for guys who end up being bad for me in some way or another. Um, and when I meet the, the good ones, you know, the nice guy, whatever... I feel, I don't know, it's, I mean, it's not all nice guys, but, you know, so many that I meet, my friends are like, oh, he'd be perfect for you, and he's really nice. I'm like, yeah. It's, it's that feeling of that spark, of that butterflies in the stomach. So I guess what my question really is, is 
can, is that something I need to get past, or is it just who I am? Is it just that I need to accept the fact that it might find me take me a really long time to find some guy who gives both the spark and is a good guy? Because I feel like, you know, I have friends who date jerks and stay with them and make these relationships, you know, trying to make these relationships work. But they always have these hang-ups from their past, which, you know, like my dad was a jerk, so now I date jerks. And, you know, and I don't have that. I don't feel like I should be attracted to assholes, um, if that makes sense. Hey, it's Dan Savage. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Dan Savage? Good. Uh, it's Sunday. Are you at church, or can you talk? Uh, it's Sunday in New York, so it's it's already dark. So. <laughs> um, how old are you? I'm 30. You're 30? How many guys have you dated? Not a lot. <laughs> when, you, when you first meet somebody, do you think, oh, my God, total asshole, I'm in love? Or is it after it comes to shit that you realize, oh, that guy was a total asshole. Why was I dating him? Well, you know, sometimes I see the red flags, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's just, you know, he's got that hang-up, but otherwise he's fine. And then afterwards, yeah, I usually go, like, why didn't I listen to my instincts? Right, like, but you I don't go into it angry. thinking, when you meet these guys, you're sort of rounding them all up to total assholes who were bad for you after the fact, after it's come to shit, Right. Yeah, yeah, but the problem is they all seem to turn out to be major assholes. Well, you know, every like I like to say, like people get sick of me uh, saying, uh, and people get sick of hearing, every relationship you are ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. Yeah. You haven't met that asshole yet. You yeah, haven't met yeah, the I guy who, you know, and all guys are assholes, and all women are bitches. Let's just yeah. embrace that, all right? <laughs> Whatever guy you meet is going to have an asshole streak. However nice he seems to be, if you meet a nice mm -hmm. guy, he's got some asshole in him. And however big an asshole he is, he's got some nice guy in him. All um, right. I guess what, you know, then the question becomes how much asshole is acceptable asshole, but, you know. Well, that, that comes down to you. Some of us prefer more yeah. asshole yeah. than others in every respect of that, in every possible interpretation of that statement. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to decide what you're going to swallow. Uh, there is no right. settling down without settling for. I'm just like the cliché-a-thon uh, with you. Um, there's no settling down <laughs> without right. settling for. You know, everybody who's in a long-term relationship uh, eventually begins to suspend their disbelief and pretend that the person is perfect in every possible way when they're not. You just sort of round them up, and there are things you ignore and things you accept and shortcomings that you decide to live with. Because uh, you don't want to be, you know, let the perfect be the enemy of the good. There's cliché number three for you. Um, <laughs> And, and, and no guy is without asshole traits, and no guy is without nice guy traits. You just have to find them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a true. Full of guys, and you're only 30, and you're in New York, where most people settle down between 25 and 35. I don't think uh, you're in a hopeless situation. Yeah, yeah. I try to tell myself that, but sometimes it feels that way. It's, you know, and, you, you know, it's also you have the friends who get in your head who are like, oh, this guy is nice. He'd be perfect for you. And then you need like to tell your, friends tell, oh. tell your friends you have, a, you have sort of an asshole fetish, and when they meet some guy who's nice who they think would be perfect for you, they need to warn you away from that guy. Then you say, oh, no, 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 total fucking ass. I want you to stay away from him, okay? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle, including a great selection of toys, lingerie, and movies. 10 million customers love the quality, the fast, and discreet shipping, and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. 
Visit adamandeve.com today and receive 50% off most any item of your choice, plus a free gift with a purchase of $17 or more. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. This is David. I'm a 25-year-old straight male from Philly. Um, here's my problem. I have a, an especially potent smell coming from my penis. Uh, I shower, I scrub in the carriage, uh, and an hour or two afterwards, it stinks again. And it's, a, it's been a long-occurring thing. Uh, I've had a few ladies comment on it. Uh, you know, fun compromise in the shower, but I'm like looking for something to head the problem off with. I should also probably say that I have some uh, piercings downstairs. I don't think they're contributing, but, uh, well, that's the end. Dan Savage calling about your stinky deck. Yes. How are you doing? Is this a bad time? I'm doing it might be, actually. <laughs> Can you step out in the hall or something? I'm, I'm doing that as we speak. <laughs> so you say that you have piercings, but you don't think they have anything to do with your stanky dick. Uh, no, I don't you, think so. Did your dick stink like this before you got the piercings, or were you born with these piercings? I was uh, not born with them. Um, How did your dick smell before you started drilling holes in it? Well, to be honest, I uh, did not notice a significant smell. And this is kind of a thing that's been developing, and it's actually gotten to the point where it's the tipping point now. I would remove those piercings if I were you. You would. Just to see. You know, you can always re-pierce. This is true, but, I mean, that's a very sensitive area to re-pierce. I know, but desperate (laughs) stink calls for desperate measures. I see, I see. The other thing uh, you you can look at is your diet. You know, some people just have... uh, strong pheromones, a strong scent, and there's nothing you can do about it. But if you didn't notice this stank before you got these piercings, before you were sitting all day with chunks of metal and holes that can fill with bacteria and God knows <laughs> what else, in the dampest, sweatiest, least aerated part of your body, right? All right, yeah. Before you did that, there wasn't a stink. And now there is a stink. You might want to pull all this shit out of your dick. Wait a few months, see if it goes away. If it doesn't go away, you can re-pierce it all, put it back in, and it's something else that either you need to accept that you're just going to have a stank crotch for the rest of your life, or you need to look to your diet. Mm. And you know, is there anything specifically that you know of that would be, like, a cause? No, no or nothing is it... specific. All, all I can say is that diet impacts a person's scent, because if you eat nothing right. but hamburgers, drink nothing but Jack Daniels, and, smoke, and you know, inhale nothing but cigarette smoke, everything you excrete is going to reek. Mm. So I don't know what your lifestyle was like. I don't know if you smoke cigarettes. Uh, yes, cigarettes. Yes, whiskey, and uh, yes, red meat. So that, that's probably not helping in all fronts. There, it's probably not helping on all fronts. And you can you just need to dilute those things. I eat red meat. I drink whiskey, and I don't smoke because that's a ridiculously retarded thing to do. But go for it. Um, right. If you need to dilute, you know, the cigarette smoke with actual oxygen, you need to dilute the whiskey with actual water and juices and things that aren't alcohol, and you need to dilute the bread meat with fruits and vegetables. And then uh, hopefully everything you're excreting, including whatever you're excreting in your crotch, will smell a bit better. But honest well, to God, honest to God, take the jewelry out of your crotch, out of your underwear. I guarantee you that's the problem. All right, Dan, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, did, I'll, I'll give it a little I'll give it a little shot. And I, uh, how hoping... much easier it's going to be to get on an airplane. Hey, Dan, um, um, I just listened to your podcast 107, and you said you said most good, successful long-term relationships were one-night stands that stuck. And what I'm calling to ask you is, seriously? Are you serious? Like, did, did you actually mean that? Like, I, maybe I'm just approaching this whole thing from the wrong way. Like, but I, I, I've been single for a while. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to find anything 
necessarily serious, but I, I would like to get in a good relationship or something, you know, something that's that's quality that I can have, someone I can have fun with and, and fuck and all that stuff. And are you saying I should just try to fuck him on the first night? What is what is what is this approach? It, it's very intriguing to me, and part of me, the deep dark part inside of me, wants that to be very true. But uh, I'm very skeptical. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like you should just fuck everyone you meet on the first night and hope it sticks. We traffic in generalizations. We sex advice columnists and podcasters and rant casters. Uh, I don't believe that every decent long-term relationship was a one-night stand that stuck. Many millions are, however, including my own. Now, let me qualify that. You know, there's two different ways you can treat somebody when you have what may look like it's going to be a one-night stand. You can throw up a lot of walls and be really defensive and treat them in a dehumanizing way. Uh, You can not really engage. You can treat them in a way that communicates to them that you don't care about them as a person. Even if, you know, you're only having one night stand with someone, I believe you should communicate to them you care about them as a person. Uh, If you have a one night stand with somebody where you care to know their name, you care to chat with them a little bit, uh, you treat them with a little bit of compassion and respect and you fuck the shit out of them. They may want to stick around and come back for more. Somebody who's been treated like that on a one-night stand will regard the person that they had the one-night stand with as someone they could potentially have a two- or three- or four-night stand with or a multi-year stand with or a very long-term relationship with. So the problem with you know saying a one-night stand that's stuck is a lot of people, when they go out searching for a one-night stand, all their defenses are up. They act like assholes. They treat the person like they want them to disappear the moment the sex is over. That kind of one-night stand isn't going to be the beginning of a beautiful relationship. That kind of one-night stand is going to be the kind of sex somebody recalls every once in a while, an encounter they call every once in a while with regret. And that kind of one-night stand is the kind you have if you want to run into that person here and there uh, as you go about your life for the rest of your life and the two of you to catch eyes and both be mutually mortified by the memory. Now, if you have a one-night stand where... You treat the other person, not like it's audition sex, but as if you'd be open to seeing them, to dating, uh, that this is a potential beginning and not their, you, you know, a substitute right hand uh, that you're going to blow a load on or in and then you need them out, out, out so you can move on to the next one. Does that make sense? Do you follow? The tech-heavy at-risk youth just pointed out that some of us are left-handed uh, and, and I apologize for oppressing uh, Southpaws with that reference to treating somebody like your right hand when you're just using them to get off. Uh, some of us, of course, treat that person like our left hand. Um, and uh, I just want to make sure that nobody feels oppressed uh, here at the Lovecast. Hi. Um, let's see. My name is Liz, and my friend needed this line because I've been asking a lot of people for advice about a rather bizarre incident that happened to me recently. Okay, long story short, it was the second time that I was about to make a man friend of mine come the other night. Um, We had had sex like an hour or so before, and we were finishing off with me giving him a blowjob, and I guess he hasn't had much experience with a girl like swallowing for him, so he finds that really exciting, obviously. And, uh, And we were doing that. And he started to orgasm incredibly hard and was having these sort of like stop and start things. And there was so much 
so much sperm like coming out. I was really shocked and just, you know, kind of getting in there and trying to swallow it all, if at all possible. And then just like without any pause, like right in the same sort of <clears throat> like shoot as, uh, as the cum is like a water-like warm liquid. Um, I don't really remember a taste to it because I already had a lot in, <laughs> in my mouth. And I don't know, I was just kind of shocked and like started to, you know, and pulled it out of my mouth. And this liquid that, you know, at the time at least I was certain was pee sort of sprayed all over me and then on the ground. And uh, I looked up at him maybe with some anger in my eyes and I could tell, you know, and I, I trust the guy. He's a good guy. I could tell that he had not meant to do that. He looked pretty much as horrified as any human being can look. And he also, you know, assumes that he somehow, in the release of orgasm, peed in my mouth by accident. And so we kind of talked about it. I mean, it's a new thing, and I like the guy. I didn't want to make him, you know, want to kill himself or be afraid of, you know, coming hard or something like that in the future. So I tried to keep him from feeling guilty about it. But I'm, of course, still, like, a little grossed out. And I asked my roommate about it, and I asked a couple other people, and one of my roommates looked online and told me something about a, quote, I think this is from Wikipedia, like a full-body orgasm that a man can have, which is somehow analogous to, like, female squirting um, that results in, like, extra prostate fluid, but nothing else being ejaculated, like, right on the tail end of a normal ejaculation. And it said that it could be similar in, like, texture and everything to where you would think it was pee, but it wouldn't really smell. And this might just be wishful thinking, but I'm pretty sure that what was on me didn't really smell. It was just warm and watery, so we made the assumptions we made. But I feel like, oh, one more thing. I know that at the moment that fluid was coming out, he was still very hard. He wasn't really getting soft, which is another thing I just remember being amazed about. And, you know, that's why I was still trying to get some more out of him. And so, you know, I was under the impression that it was almost impossible to pee at all with a hard-on. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just wondering if you know anything about that. Wow, you ask if he peed in your mouth like that's some sort of bad thing. I think there's a lot of piss drinkers out there listening to the podcast right now who feel really judged. And I really feel like that's wrong. Um... Look, if you were already fucking him and he already came once, uh, you may have drained a lot of the stuff uh, from his junk that creates the white goopy part of uh, the ejaculate. Um, if he was super aroused, uh, as you say that he was, and, and you know, hard even after the second time he came, uh, that clear liquid could have been oodles and oodles of pre-ejaculate and oodles and oodles of the seminal fluid that is produced by the prostate uh, and sucked out of the bloodstream basically by the prostate uh, and consists of, you know, 50% roughly of uh, the ejaculate is this stuff that's clear. So if he was shooting a bunch of clear stuff uh, and it was shooting, it wasn't just, you know, peeing everywhere. It wasn't one hard, long stream, but it was part of the ejaculation there was you know ejaculatory response or contractions and it was going and it was white and it was clear 
and it was clear that it wasn't white like semen normally would be. Um, he was just having a mind fucking blowing orgasm. You just sent him over the falls. He has nothing to be embarrassed about. Some guys are cursed or blessed, depending on your POV. They, some guys create so much uh, pre-cum, pre-ejaculate fluid, that they leak and leak and leak. And some guys' prostate glands are such champs at creating seminal fluid that they have orgasms that you could drown kittens in. All right? And he may be one of those guys. It doesn't sound to me, based on how you've described um, what you endured, like anything untoward happened. Uh, he did not pee in your mouth. Now, there's anything wrong. Pee in your mouth. If that's what you guys are into, I don't want the piss drinkers to call me all week long with their furious fucking complaints about making them feel embarrassed and ashamed. Pee drinkers of America, we have nothing but respect for you here at the podcast. But in this case, uh, Judge Judy Savage is going to come down on the side of uh, that wasn't pee. That was just lots of cum. Hey, Dan. I am calling to give you an update. I called you about a year ago. I was about to move in with my boyfriend in New York. Um, I had two problems. The first one was that my boyfriend didn't like to go down on me and didn't want to because he thought I should be able to come during intercourse. And the second one was that we had an open relationship and he thought that he should be able to sleep around, but I shouldn't. So I realized in retrospect how awful these things must have sounded. And uh, I wanted to call and tell you that uh, we broke up and it's, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, I wanted to tell you that the two problems were actually reflective of a problem that I, I think you talk to people a lot that um, where one of the people in the relationship just doesn't love the other one for who they are and wants to change them and wants to fix them. And uh, your gut reaction to my problem was exactly right. The first thing you said to me was, you guys are not a match. And um, I just wanted to call and thank you for uh, talking to me and for being so patient and caring with me. And I also wanted to tell you that I'm single in New York now and I'm happy to live in years. And uh, I just thought you might be happy to know that. Thanks a lot, Dan. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the update. I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad you're single. And I hope you're having fun out there in New York. I just got back from a week in New York. And it is the world capital of hot guys. And I hope you're cutting a swath through them right now. Hi, Dan. No question, just a comment. Um, I'm calling from California. I am 46 years old and straight, straight, straight. I worked on no on eight. I voted no on eight. Everybody I know voted no on eight. And I am steaming mad. You don't have to be gay to be furious and disgusted by a bunch of religious bigots who are taking away people's civil rights and um, trying to to erode any separation between uh, church and state, and I am not taking it lying down, nor is anybody I know. We're trying to get Prop 8 repealed. We are talking about ballot measures in 2010. We are attending rallies. Um, I'm kind of hoping that Obama is going to appoint liberal justices to the Supreme Court, and sooner or later... This is, to me, the civil rights case of this next decade. I hate to think it's going to have to wait any longer, but it might have to to get there. To have this, the Supreme Court hear it um, when someone sues the state of California, 
for depriving them of their equal protection under the 14th Amendment. And we get a ban, all the bans on gay marriages in any state overturned and made unconstitutional, which is what we have to have happen. And it will happen. But I want you to be heartened and to remember that you have, that there are plenty of straight people who are as passionately appalled by Prop 8's passing as any of you gay people out there in Washington. And we're fighting the good fight. You keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks for the call, and thanks for reminding all of us angry queers out there of something that's really important we need to really remember and keep in the front of our minds as we fight uh, to overturn Prop 8 and all the other anti-gay marriage amendments. Um, we're only, you know, let's say we're 10% of the population, which is kind of a high estimate these days. Say we're 10% of the voters in California. Say, let's double it. Let's say because gays tend to migrate to places where that are more tolerant, that, you know, California's full of gays from Alabama and Tennessee and the South and the Southwest. I'll say there were 20% of the vote of the voters in California, which we, I don't think we are. 48% of the voters in California voted against uh, Prop 8, which means that hundreds of thousands of straight people voted no on Prop 8. And hundreds of thousands of straight people, I think, worked to defeat Prop 8. And there are hundreds of thousands of straight people at the demonstrations that took place all over the country this weekend protesting Prop 8. So it's not gay versus straight on Prop 8 or on gay rights. We have straight allies and straight people, I think, increasingly recognize that the assholes who are attempting to strip gays and lesbians of our civil rights all over this country are also after you, that we're really in one fight here against the people who want to repeal uh, and overturn Roe v. Wade, who want to restrict abortion rights, who want to restrict access to birth control, who want to restrict good sex ed information, who want to put women barefoot and pregnant back into kitchens and want to roll back all the gains on gender equality over the last hundred years in this country, too. Uh, so thanks for calling, and I appreciate the reminder, and I hope that sinks in for everyone out there listening. It's not gay v. straight. It's right-thinking Decent people who recognize everyone else's humanity versus troglodyte asshole motherfuckers, and we're going to win in the long run because the troglodyte asshole motherfuckers are old and stupid and dying off, and we're going to outlive them, outlast them, and fucking defeat them. Hi, Dan. I live in Los Angeles, and I've been really sad and angry lately because of this Prop 8 Thing. And I know this is not really a sex advice question that I'm getting to, but I am just so pissed off about what happened here. And what really bothers me is that, one, I have to live here because I'm in film school, and so I don't really have much of an option of leaving. And the other thing is that I go to school with people that I don't know who they are, but I know that they voted yes on Prop 8. I know there were some people in the school that had to have voted yes based on the statistics in the L.A. precinct. So what my problem is, is that I have to go to school with these motherfucking pieces of shit, and I'll eventually have to work with other motherfucking pieces of shit who voted yes on Prop 8, and I don't want that. I don't want to have to deal with these people. I don't want to have to look at them. I don't want to have to spend any time with them, and I absolutely do not want to help them in any way make their careers. I would much rather do the opposite. So... Right now, I probably sound like kind of a raving lunatic, and that is not how I want to come across when I'm trying to make my career in a business that's already very difficult. And so what my problem is and what my question is is how I can sift through the weeds and find these dickheads who think that they can tell me what I can do with my life when it doesn't affect an ounce of theirs. 
so I don't have to work with them without ruining my career. You could be the poster child for the uh, for the posters that people are carrying around the the no on Prop 8 protests all over the country. No more Mr. Nice Gay. We're pissed. We're sick of this bullshit. We're sick of being the only minority group in this country who is treated this way. Uh, the only people whose rights are put up to a popular vote. Nobody else's civil rights are put up to popular votes. And precious few other vulnerable minority groups' rights would survive this process. So we're justifiably furious. And I think that Prop 8 in California was kind of the last straw for a lot of us. And people are drawing lines in the sand now and saying, you know what? I can't play patty cake anymore with people who do not recognize my full citizenship in this country and who are attacking my civil rights. I'm just not going to play along anymore. And I'm not going to make nice anymore and agree to disagree like John McCain said to Ellen DeGeneres on her show about this issue. Because, you know, it's not just a political issue. It's not just uh, a little political difference. It's not uh, paper or plastic. It's our right to live our lives, our right to full civil equality. And it's not a fucking joke anymore. And we've had it. Now, what do you do with that feeling? And I understand that feeling. I got that feeling too. You're going to have to work with people who voted for Prop 8. And I think, and you're going to school with them. Don't let them, don't let that eat away at you. Don't look around school every day trying to ID your enemies. Live your life. Be out and vocal about your sexuality and about your position on Prop 8. And one of the th ways we win in the long run is the more people get to know us, the more they hear these arguments about marriage, the more their minds change. One of the really heartening things, one of the things that points to the fact that we are winning uh, th that came out of Prop 8, in 2000, an anti-gay marriage law was approved by 22 points in California. 22 points. Prop 8 was approved by four points in California. They lost 18 points in eight years. Those aren't all new voters in eight years, and those aren't all dead voters in eight years. That means a lot of people in that time period, as gay marriage was debated all over the country, changed their minds. You can be part of that debate. So when you meet people who voted for Prop 8, you don't just have to regard them as your mortal enemies, although that is how I regard them also at the moment. You can regard them as potential converts and recruits. You can win an argument. You can be in their face. You can be an example to them uh, of the way that they should have voted. And you can talk to them and you can work on them. And it's worked. 18 points. 18 points in eight years. That's a huge, huge uh, movement. That's a huge sea change. So don't right now, you know what, vent, be angry, call them assholes, call them motherfuckers, swear that you'll never break bread with them. You'll never talk uh, civilly to them. You'll never work with them. You'll do all you can to destroy their careers. Get it out of your system. And in a couple of months time, when you're a little bit chiller about it, when you finally meet uh, somebody at your school who admits to you that they voted for Prop 8, seize that opportunity to talk them into siding with us next time. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm not sure why I'm calling, except that I'm just so angry about California and Arizona and Florida. And I just, I, I'm from Missouri, and years ago when we were the first to pass the amendment, banning same-sex marriage. I was pretty naive, actually, and I didn't pay attention to the polls, and I just thought this was 
absolutely ridiculous. Of course, people aren't going to pass this. Of course, they're not going to amend their constitution to pass something like this. And they did with like 77 percent in favor. And I remember walking the streets the day after, kind of this eerie feeling looking around and thinking that the people who worked in the stores and drove around, like 70-some percent of them wanted to deny me and my lover and my friends with basic human rights. And I got the fuck out of Missouri. I moved to big cities, like, going fine. I just feel like the whole country is coming in around us. And it's just out of hate, and I don't know what to do with that. It's like any asshole can get on the TV and just you hate out of his mouth or her mouth, and it's treated like it's normal, and it's treated like it's okay. And I'm having a really hard time feeling like the world is a good place to live in. And it's not how I normally am. I'm normally so peaceful and so okay with things, but um, how do you do that? How, how, how do we, what do we do? I'm bummed too. I'm a little despondent too, but let's not lose our minds. Let's take heart. Um, 10 years ago, the idea that same-sex marriage would be legal in two states uh, in this country, let alone legal in all of Canada, Spain, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Sweden, uh, would have seemed insane if you had suggested that that would be the case. We are winning this war. It is a war, and it is going to take a long time. We've lost a battle, but we are gradually winning this war. So take heart. Uh, you know, interracial marriage, when it was declared constitutional, would not have won uh, at the ballot box. Uh, if people had it had occurred to people to rush to the ballot box uh, to overturn um, the California ruling that came before Loving v. Virginia, it would have uh, passed a ban on interracial marriage being written into state constitutions. Um, social progress takes time. That Those bans wouldn't pass today, but they would have passed at the time uh, that interracial marriage was declared a, a fundamental civil right. So we're engaged in a very long struggle. The gay and lesbian civil rights movement is only 40 years old. Think of how far we've come in 40 years. 40 years ago, you could be arrested for being gay. Your family could have you committed 50 years ago. You could be lobotomized. Uh, it was illegal in California for more than two or three gay people to gather in one place at one time together. We were harassed by the police everywhere we went. Uh, you could be fired. We have made tremendous progress, and we are continuing to make progress. We're even making progress. We're even winning as we lose these marriage amendments because now you have groups like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the American Family Asshole Association saying that they support, uh, you know, maybe civil unions, maybe domestic partnerships. Maybe they can sign off on that because they don't want us to have marriage. The idea that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would have put out a statement even five or ten years ago saying that they supported uh, rights for same-sex couples, any rights for same-sex couples whatsoever, would have seemed far-fetched. They've arrived at that point because uh, we pressed for marriage, and they're terrified that we're going to get it. And they're trying to come up with some compromise position that will keep us from full civil equality, which they still oppose. So there's even signs of progress uh, in the enemy camp as we 
wage this war, it's a rhetorical war, not a shooting war, we're winning. So I understand the despondency uh, that a lot of people have been feeling for the last couple of weeks. I feel it myself. But let's not lose sight of uh, the fact that things have changed. There's been tremendous progress culturally in this country. And over the long run, we will triumph because freedom does. Freedom has a way of winning out in the end. Uh, gay marriage will come to America. It'll come here last because that's the way America rolls. Uh, Great Britain did away with slavery with a little vote in parliament. Forty years later, we had to have a civil fucking war to do away with it, but we did. Gay marriage is coming uh, to most of the civilized world, the Western world, uh, and it will come here too. It'll come here. It'll arrive here last. Freedom, ironically enough, tends to come to the land of the free last and COD, but we're going to get there. In Missouri and in California and in Alabama and in Texas and in Illinois, everywhere. We're going to leave it there for the week. I want to thank everybody who called. If you want to call and record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720 is the number. Uh, again, if you're looking to get involved in the fight against Prop 8, go to jointheimpact.com, which has tons of great information and links and is organizing people all over the country uh, and originated right here in Seattle, and we're uh, proud of that. 206-201-2720, again, is the number for the podcast. Uh, me and the Tech Savvy at Risk, you. We'll be back at you with another installment next week.